That was me, Sin, and Jill for WCBN. Oh, yeah, Arbor, wait, Miss- say WCBN FM and Arbor. Say WCBN. And we gotta go to sound check. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Okay. Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year. Thanks so much for stopping by. Oh, we loved it. And remember this holiday season if you're gonna drink, get a designated driver. It's slippery out there. It's cold outside. So cold. But be secure in the knowledge that you're here. Warm in the arms of WCBN, 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. Alrighty, well, uh, a brand new experience here at WCBN. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer, and we are operating out of the temporary facilities across the hall from the uh, studio in which the program has been broadcast for low these many years. little renovation going on down here at the Student Activities Building, so uh, we're in a very heavily lit chamber. Heavily lit. Quite comfortable, though. (laughs) Suitable for waterboarding, Dick Cheney. (laughs) And there's probably... No shortage of volunteers to uh, help him along with that process. Yeah, H.W. Bush might. Uh, oh, we, our chief engineer is volunteering to add water. <laughs> Stir well. Simmer. Stir. Rinse, lather, repeat. Yes, stir again, simmer. Well, uh, it's been a kind of an interesting week. We'll talk about Imad Mugnia eventually, a very interesting uh, terrorist bit the dust in Damascus, Syria. Very interesting implications about that and his uh, murky connections. None, by the way, to the United States of America, but uh, he indeed is a very mysterious uh, individual. The funny thing is, he actually looks like a dude I knew in high school. uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Well, I guess since we're on him, we'll, we'll just talk about him real quickly. Um, when 9-11 happened, the day of 9-11, I, uh, I guess in a sort of uh, lucky sort of way, actually was watching uh, CNN pretty much from the moment the second tower was hit, which I saw on CNN, for the rest of the day. And at one point, uh, CNN cut to their uh, national security expert, Mike Bechter, uh, who has since moved on to another network. I can't remember which one he works for. But in any event, uh, he was asked a question by the host live, and this, of course, can't be edited, um, if the, quote, FBI, NSA, et cetera, were looking at anybody else besides Osama bin Laden. And Mike Bechter, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase what he said, he said, oh, yeah, they're looking at another guy who's sent shivers down their spine because they don't know what this guy looks like. And the name was Imad Mugnia. And it turned out the only photograph they had of him was basically 25 years old. 
And he listed the multi-terrorist uh, events that this guy was behind. He was essentially a uh, agent of Hezbollah, and he was behind the truck bombing in Beirut back in October of 1983, uh, when Ronald Reagan sort of put the Marines in harm's way without kind of knowing what he was doing. And of course, he remedied that situation by invading Grenada. <laughs> well, of course, the uh, presence of the Marines in uh, Beirut at that time was uh, largely uh, contingent upon the 82 Israeli invasion exactly. of Lebanon, the massive destabilization and infrastructural damage that uh, ensued. Of course, the Israeli invasion followed a number of years of uh, Lebanese civil war. And, of course, <coughs> Lebanon has been a, shall we say, a hellhole of terrorism since uh, the mid-'70s, and it still is uh, such. But in any event, uh, Bechter listed off the uh, terrorist attacks that Ahmad Mugnia was behind. Well, what emerged over the years was that Osama bin Laden met Ahmad Mugnia allegedly in Tehran in 1998, after issuing the fatwa against the United States. The chronology is very important to remember. The Project for the New American Century issued and published a public letter advocating the overthrow of Saddam Hussein here in America just a couple of weeks after the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke here in the United States. About a month later, um, Ayman al-Zawari and bin Laden issued their public fatwa, February 23rd of 98. And bin Laden supposedly met Ahmad Mugnia in Tehran. Uh, he was uh, supposedly living these many years sort of as a ghost figure in Tehran under their protection. And it's a little unclear even today who was behind this uh, bombing in Damascus that occurred just last week. Hezbollah is blaming Israel, of course. Hezbollah is blaming Israel. There's all sorts of conspiracy theories about who might have done this. This happened in Syria. <laughs> um, is there a Israeli-Syrian double agent collaboration? Um, was it, did Imad Mugnia run afoul of some of his fellow terrorists in Hezbollah? Uh, was Al-Qaeda behind Imad Mugnia's demise? We'll never know. Uh, well, certainly not for many, many years because the investigations into terrorist attacks that occur in uh, Lebanon and Syria, I think, remain <laughs> murky. Too many variables and unknowns to really come to any reliable conclusions. Precisely. Suppositions so you, about the best. You've got to watch the spin. But one tactic that Imad Mugnia utilized that Osama bin Laden clearly adopted was the concept of simultaneity. Mm -hmm. uh, in the truck bombing of the Marines back in 83, there was also a simultaneous attack against the French in Beirut. This technique, this terrorist technique, was used in August of 98, supposedly by Al-Qaeda. This is the first known Al-Qaeda attack against, quote, American interests when they attacked the African embassies in uh, Nairobi and in Tanzania. Mm -hmm. Now, Bush has been in Tanzania. He eschewed a visit to Kenya because of their political problems. Interestingly, I find it and this is just a quick aside that, that uh, Barack Obama hasn't said anything about the Kenya situation, which I find a little odd, you know, other than he's calling for an end to violence. But getting back to Imad Mugnia, it's always occurred to me that Imad Mugnia could have penetrated the 9-11 plot. There are many mysteries about these 
so-called 1911 hijackers, who was controlling them, who they worked for. Um, Mohammed Atta has always been called the ringleader. And, of course, he came out of Hamburg, Germany, and did pay a visit to Afghanistan in 1999. But I just find it fascinating that if you think about what America's done geopolitically by overthrowing the Taliban and overthrowing Saddam Hussein, we've done Iran's dirty work in the Middle East. Now, this is an elaborate conspiracy theory, of course, but we sometimes like to speculate about these things and discuss them because they're not beyond the realm of comprehension. Imagine for a moment that Imad Bugnia finds out about bin Laden, finds out about what his goals are. And remember that one is a Shiite terrorist and one is a Sunni, Wahhabi. Bin Laden is the latter. So they don't quite agree on, uh, uh, shall we say, theology. Sectarian matters. But they do agree on the targets, America and Israel and a broader agenda of creating terrorism. Did bin Laden take lessons and experience from Imad Mugnia concepts that he then adopted? Or did Imad Mugnia perhaps penetrate the bin Laden plot? Now, I mention all of this because I found it fascinating that the federal government announced just one week ago today that they would be trying six terrorists at Guantanamo Bay, among them, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who's now being characterized as the mastermind behind the 9-11 attack. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, of course, has now been, it's now been disclosed, was waterboarded at Guantanamo Bay. How reliable is the information that he supposedly confessed to? We don't know. But this brings up all sorts of very fascinating connections and, uh, in this case, speculation. I am not, of course, suggesting for any moment that Imad Mugnea was behind 9-11, but I am suggesting there's certainly a possibility of it, knowing full well what the United States would do, knowing full well that these neoconservatives under the Bush administration had taken control of our government and that they were interested in overthrowing Saddam Hussein. And if you will recall, there were advocates early on, shortly after 9-11, not about going after Afga uh, the Taliban in Iraq, but, uh, or, uh, Afghanistan, but going after Saddam Hussein. Rumsfeld, of course, was uh, near the head of that list. And uh, a number of other people associated with the Project for the New American Century were the loudest cheerleaders for that. And, of course, if you think about what we've heard lately in the last couple of weeks, uh, as John McCain has now emerged as the... Um, uh, certain Republican nominee for the uh, 2004 election. Very antiseptically endorsed by H.W. Bush. Yeah, I don't know uh, how, how that helps John McCain, but... Well, I think a, an endorsement at this point from <laughs> W. Bush would, would be doom a setback. Him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. he, he better hope he remains a... A little Un clinical distance there. Uncommitted superdelegate. <laughs> Super-duper. Super-duper delegate. But um, I just find all of this fascinating because at the end of the day, if you look at the big picture of the uh, United States' so-called war on terror, and we heard that campaigning on the global war on terror all last week. We heard George Bush say, and I'm going to paraphrase here, and we'll give him a brain damage where somewhere in America, somewhere around the world, terrorists are plotting to kill Americans. It will pale by 9-11 in comparison. Unbelievable. And he gets a brain damage award. So they're, 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 they're 
playing the terrorism card immediately now that John McCain is the uh, nominee. Very they, sloppy and irresponsible use of rhetoric. And they have nothing else to work on. Right. And, of course, we saw in the debate over the week uh, with FISA in the, in the House of Representatives that, once again, more irresponsible rhetoric. Here's George Bush claiming that if we don't get this immunity deal for the telecoms from the House of Representatives immediately, that America will be in jeopardy and that the Democrats will somehow be responsible for this. Well, this is all nonsense. The Democrats in the House said... We're not in any rush to do this. We need more information. You've been withholding information in our congressional hearings. And, oh, by the way, we're, we're willing to give you temporary extension of what you want so that we can continue to debate the subject. What does George Bush do? He threatens to veto the bill. What's the big stumbling block? It's not really the uh, substance of the tactics of the federal government regarding surveillance and all that stuff, spying, email monitoring, blah, blah, blah. It's immunity for the telecoms. Right. And that's all very scary stuff. But just think about how incompetent America is. Assuming even that bin Laden was behind 9-11 or Imad Mugnia, where is the United States military? It's in Afghanistan and Iraq. Doesn't have enough troops in either place. And while we're hearing all about the successes of the surge... Look at the violence in Pakistan. It's going way up. Look at the violence in Afghanistan. It's going way up. There's been a decrease in violence around Baghdad that's indisputable. But this idea that the surge is, quote, working, unquote, is a theory that is not supported by empirical evidence. And if you look at the big picture, America's, quote, war on terror begins to resemble kind of like an Inspector Clouseau Incompetence. There's a murder that takes place in Georgia, and he decides, well, I'm going to run around South Carolina, I'm going to run around North Carolina and Mississippi looking for the murders. Right. Well, it's also very... You're in the wrong country, dude. Yeah. Very reminiscent of uh, <clears throat> passages from Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels, <clears throat> a work I happen to be teaching at the moment, uh, political satire written in the early 1700s. A brilliant uh, in which, writer, by the way. In which, I mean, yeah, the stuff that Swift was writing about in the 1720s is still very much applicable and appropriate today. Passages wherein politicians argue regarding uh, funding and spending on war that, yes, we have inflicted more damage upon the enemy than they have upon us, therefore we're winning, but at the same time, their you know, next attack upon us is imminent, and it will be the worst thing that we've ever experienced. So how can you simultaneously be winning and be subject to another major attack? It can't be both. Yeah, and it, and it, it can't be... It might be neither. And it can't be the repeated claim uh, the, that the uh, attack, as Bush put it, will pale by 9-11 in comparison. I don't know what this man's talking about. The facts are assuming that bin Laden and the 9-11 Commission report got a 90% of their uh, um, investigation correct in terms of revealing it to the public, al-Qaeda spent about $500,000 on the attack. The money, incidentally, came mainly from the United Arab Emirates and Pakistan. And uh, there are some very interesting connections between the Saudis and uh, two of the 9-11 hijackers that sort of roamed around San Diego and Arizona, that area, who later met up with the, quote, ringleader, Mohammed Atta, who operated on the East Coast and uh, recruited his, uh, his uh, main pilots out of uh, Germany. Um, it's, 
just an amazing scenario. We have now spent, when you think about it, in the, quote, war on terror, where we're kind of in the wrong countries, ipso facto, even the official 9-11 report would indicate this, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the mastermind of the 9-11 plot, was caught in Pakistan. Um, not by us, by the way. Um, the events surrounding his arrest remain a little murky. But uh, we've spent over $600 billion. Just think about those numbers for one second. They spent half a million dollars. They lured America into this disaster, into these two disastrous wars. And of course, now the Afghan war is turning into a NATO debate. Some of the NATO allies are wondering about what our overall agenda is. Right? Yeah. And are beginning to say, why are we taking casualties? Because America's romping around the, the Middle East and the Near East like a brontosaurus with a big tail that just keeps whacking people. We had a group that in, in Iraq just this past week that the United States, quote, mistakenly bombed with airstrikes that w was working on our side, supposedly allied against the so-called al-Qaeda in Iraq. And I keep hearing that we have to stay in Iraq because we have al-Qaeda on the run in Iraq. And I thought... They never were in Iraq. And because of, they're in Pakistan. And of course they're on the run. They're not in Iraq. The people that are fighting us in Iraq are a hodgepodge group of different groups. And this whole thing is, is it's Inspector Clouseau. I have a bim. Indeed, you have a bim. But... Well, and you mentioned NATO. It, it, there's another uh, element to the... Uh, you know, ripples of discontent in NATO, and this is the increasing controversy over a uh, potential future arms race mm -hmm. with the revived uh, might of uh, Russia because of the United States' insistence upon uh, putting missile bases in Poland and the Czech Republic. And, of course, this has Putin angrily waving a uh, nice little valentine here <laughs> across. This is from yeah. last week's Financial Times. That's a uh, great photo. Uh, Putin, of course, the man into whose eyes George Bush deeply, perhaps longingly, stared and declared him uh, to be a beautiful, wonderful human being. Um, Putin's really seizing an opportunity here to expand into this you know, vacuum of uh, competency that uh, America has really force the world to step away from America. And NATO could, you know, in some ways, come closer to unraveling over uh, the United States' insistence upon uh, calling all the shots in the Middle East uh, than it has since its inception. Yeah, and look at the at the fissures that occurred today with this announcement out of Kosovo. Um, right. yeah. Here we have Kosovo, de quote, declaring independence. Here's George Bush. Uh, well, he's not on a safari tour of Africa, but... He's in Africa, and he immediately declares this a positive development, wants to recognize the, you know, the, the uh, satellite state of Kosovo declaring independence, fully unaware of the consequences of that, and not understanding why, for instance, the Russians and the Spanish and other nations around the world that may have sep separatist enclaves within their nation state, that this would be a very dangerous precedent to start establishing. Needless to say, the British and the French 
um, stepped in line with uh, wh what George Bush's rhetoric was all about. But this is uh, very troubling. This is where you want to kind of go slow and think about what you say, not what ideologically may be yeah, well, feasible. And why on earth would America want to support the KLA, which are Muslim terrorists and their movement? You know, it's fascinating if you think about it. Yeah. Well, remember, too, how the rush to recognize the sort of, uh, I don't know, centrifuge-like spin towards uh, independence that Yugoslavia, the old state of Yugoslavia, went through. Um, kind of interestingly enough, at the tail end of the first Gulf War when the Yugoslav state just spun apart and how Germany particularly was so quick to recognize uh, the independence of uh, Slovenia. Sure. And, uh, and Croatia. And Croatia, no. um, which of course has implications of the military history of German military efforts. Um, and that was largely responsible for the rapid descent into human catastrophe that the uh, dismemberment of Yugoslavia became. Yeah, so uh, speak softly and carry a much smaller stick, please. Yeah, and, yeah. of course, just remember that John McCain's favorite uh, president in American history was Teddy Roosevelt. The trust buster, but... Uh, Teddy yeah. had some good qualities. Many unsavory elements to old Ted there, too. But many unsavory elements. Well... Um, Speaking of unsavory elements, uh, of course, the polls are now closed in Pakistan, but uh, it'll take days for the counting. But this promises to be a real uh, potential turning point. Things have gone from bad to worse. The assassination of Benazir Bhutto uh, a couple of months ago, uh, I think, really was a sucker punch to the gut of uh, the Pakistani psyche. Sure. Uh, I think even for those who were not you know, disposed to support her party, uh, had to have been, uh, crushed by the, uh, darkness of that event. But, uh, we have some weird information here. Uh, Musharraf, <laughs> uh, promising what he calls to be the mother of all elections. Uh oh. Interesting, uh, terminology there, because of course that was a similar phrase that Saddam Hussein used yes. uh, to, uh, Threaten the battle that would ensue if the United States should come after him. Mother of all battles. In which he took a pretty good whooping. <laughs> uh, indeed. Uh, but <clears throat> Musharraf has also said that uh, politicians should not be under any illusion that they can bring people to the streets after the elections. Nothing of the sort will be allowed. Uh, so there are to be no... Whatever the results are, and whatever the suspicions of malfeasance at one level or another are uh it could be even more violent there were you know sporadic uh episodes of violence nothing major uh that i've seen so far uh but of course once the election results are announced um but the mere threat of violence by the way did going to keep the turnout low. tamp tamp down the turnout yeah. considerably which is one reason we are incredibly fortunate to live in America. In America, we have apathy, not, not violence associated with elections. Indeed. But interestingly, Human Rights Watch, again, this is from an article in Financial Times, uh, yesterday claimed to have a recording of one side of a uh, telephone conversation in which Malik Kayam, Pakistan's attorney general, allegedly stated that the forthcoming parliamentary elections would be, quote, massively rigged. Of course, uh, interesting to note that Malik Kayam, uh, this attorney general, 
uh, recently appointed by uh, Musharraf, is the son of the man who uh, condemned Benazir Bhutto's father to death. Mm-hmm. And I've just recently begun reading uh, her posthumous book called Reconciliation that, according to the uh, introductory chapter that she wrote, she, when she returned to Pakistan, she had the manuscript for this book uh, amongst her uh, baggage. And uh, I'll probably talk a little bit about that in another week or two. Um, but here's one last uh, piece of information about uh, public sentiment in Pakistan. Uh, again, this from February 14th, uh, Financial Times. Three quarters of Pakistanis now want Mr. Musharraf out of office. The pro-Musharraf, uh, Pakistani Muslim League, initial Q, there's two PMLs. The PMLQ is the uh, pro-Musharraf uh, military one. Uh, comes a distant third with just 14%, far behind the Pakistani People's Party, uh, that's Budo's party, supported by 50% in the national sample. And the PMLN, that is the Pakistani Muslim League, fronted by Nawaz Sharif, um, which came in second with 22%. Some 79% of those polled said they would assume the elections had been rigged if the PMLQ won most of the seats. Um, but in fact, um, most voters fear that whatever the actual election process should yield, that it will be rigged and that Musharraf, at the end of the day, will still be there. And I think that's probably a safe bet. Oh, yeah. Well, he's our man in Islamabad, as uh, <laughs> Graham Greene would say. Um, John Adams, this is President's Day, I seem to remember. Oh, yes, Once famously said, and I'm paraphrasing here, about the American Revolution, he said, one-third of Americans are for the American Revolution, were, were for the American Revolution. One-third of Americans were for the British Tories. And one-third of Americans were waiting to see which side won. And I think that is a very perfect way of describing what's going on in the Democratic primaries. We need not dwell too much about it. Uh, tonight, March 4th is the big day, Texas and Ohio. I think that Obama will win Hawaii fairly easily. Uh, I was reminded by my father over uh, Christmas break that Dennis Kucinich actually won the Hawaiian caucuses back in 2004, uh, his only win and one of John Kerry's only, quote, losses. Wisconsin has tightened, and I think that that's, at the end of the day, going to be a wash. Uh, I think B Obama could have knocked her out, but seems to be a little bit of a... A little bit of a comeback here by Hillary, but don't be uh, persuaded by uh, the uh, metaphor of the comeback kid, because uh, that hasn't happened yet, and uh, there's still uh, many more votes to be counted. And I think wisely in the last week we've seen some of the more uh, cautious members in the Democratic Party, the superdelegates, say, hey, hold your horses, I'm not endorsing anybody. Most of the superdelegates are uncommitted. Don't believe all of this hysteria that the media is trying to create, that this side is winning or that side is winning. There's a lot of baseball left to be played here, so to speak. And Michigan and Florida may be forced to do a do-over, um, and I think it probably should for a variety of reasons. But in analyzing election uh, results, it's always important to look at demographics.
I wanted to bring this to everyone's attention because last week we had the Potomac primary and Obama won big and all of that. Yeah. But let's remember that the demographics in Maryland and Virginia were very favorable to Barack Obama because we're talking here in, in, these, in these primaries that uh, in Maryland, 37% of the electorate was African-American. In Virginia, it was 30%. And one of the fascinating numbers that caught my eye was the fact that in Maryland, 77% of the Democratic voters made more than $50,000, came from families. That is an upper-income demographic. And in Virginia, it was 72%. Hmm. So these are the, the, you know, the key voters in these two states live in the suburbs of Washington. Remember that the Washington-Baltimore metropolitan area is considered the fifth biggest metropolitan area in America. These are people that work in the federal government, have business connect, you know, are contractors connected with the federal government, and it's a very wealthy part of the United States of America, and economic issues don't work as well for Hillary Clinton in that area. So this is why last week I said, okay, what are these margins going to be? Are they going to be more like Alabama, or are they going to be more like Georgia? Well, they were more like Georgia in Virginia, and the big reason, 30% of the primary voters were first-time voters in Virginia. In Maryland, it was only 12%, and Hillary did much better in Maryland, which is actually a more heavily African-American state. So that's very interesting in terms of understanding the constituencies that are at play here in the Democratic Party. Obviously, the Republican Party, that race is over. Huckabee is just in it for being a celebrity at this point for a while. And they've rallied around John McCain, including H.W. Bush. Well, it makes you wonder uh, what purpose conventions really even serve anymore. Yeah. It used to be that there was actually drama, intrigue, and some uh, last-minute machinations um, in, in conventions. Mm -hmm. um, and, in fact, that uh, politicians uh, and nominees used the momentum coming out of those and all the TV attention spent on them and so forth to begin the campaign in earnest against the other, you know, the single other uh, party's uh, candidate. Um, you know, the uh, whole debacle over uh, Reagan's early choice of a running mate trying to force Ford into choosing a running mate before the convention had uh, run its course. Uh, that was exciting stuff. Yeah. And I guess the Democrats might you know, be positioning themselves inadvertently or in, you know, intentionally or not um, towards something like that. But one wonders what purpose the Republican convention will even serve. Or well, who will pay attention? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a coronation. And, of course, what's interesting is we've been pointing out uh, down here for a couple of weeks. I think I saw something where Obama has to win 71% of the remaining vote to wrap it up. Hillary has to win 81%. That isn't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, many of these states are going to be close. Texas is tightening in favor of Obama. Wisconsin tightened over the weekend in favor of Hillary. So, um, as the saying goes, one-third are waiting to see who's going to win. <laughs> and, uh, you know, rightly so. I think that the Democrats have a lot of interesting problems, but I think their problems, to paraphrase George Bush, pale in comparison to the Republicans' uh, John McCain problem, because uh, he's a man that's uh, rapidly developing baggage. Indeed. Well, there's some activity behind us here. We're all working in the same room here, so yeah. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up momentarily, and on their mark, we will uh, 
surrender the airwaves. So do stay tuned. Uh, Morgan is coming up right here on WCBN, FM, and Arbor.